Today is, uh, what's today? January 18th, 2020. And so the new year, this is going to be um, episode two, season one, episode two of Money Talks with Becoming Financially Fit. Um, today we have our guest, Johnny Deckman, uh, one of my longtime friends. Um, I've known Johnny for, for years now, ever since college. So uh, Johnny, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Um, so we got an interesting show today. We're gonna be talking about uh, the diamond business. Right, because Johnny um, Deckman is a, a diamond dealer here in New York in the Diamond District. So, um, well, I'm not exactly in the Diamond District anymore because we'll get into it. But the Diamond District is a is a unique place in the city of New York. You have all these unique places. You have Chinatown. You have all these places. Diamond District is in a world of its own. Okay, so yeah, we're gonna get into all of that. But first off, I'll just tell you guys how we met. Um, so I met Johnny back in college, like I said. Um, we went to the Ohio State University. The. Um, and uh, Johnny lived a couple streets over from me. Um, we became friends after I, I stopped playing football in college. And uh, we both moved out here around the same time. So um, it's, it's been great. It's been a great friendship. I will say that. Yeah, I'm into it. Um, but Johnny, what I'll let you do now is I'll kind of let you explain, you know, your background, you know, your upbringings from Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio, um, and then, you know, kind of through college and how you got out here to New York. Okay, well, I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, or Cleveland Heights specifically. I moved to Beechwood, a largely Jewish area. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom was uh, my mom was a lawyer. She went to Ohio State for law school, and she moved around. She was from originally Jersey, and my dad was a colonel in the United States Air Force. Well, he was a lieutenant colonel when I was born. We moved out to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania for a couple of years, and then we moved back to Ohio once he retired. Um I went, you know, unfortunately, my father passed away when I was 13. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Um, it's a but Colonel Deckman. Colonel Deckman, Legion of Merit, beloved husband and father. But I, he went to Ohio State for his master's, too, so Ohio State was kind of inevitable for me. I went to Ohio State. I majored in economics, and I had a kind of a... Uh, an affinity for international trade. I was very interested in, you know, the Middle East and stuff like that, and obviously Israel. And Israel, the first line in the like in the economy of Israel part of the Wikipedia article is the diamond business. It's the first line, literally. Mm-hmm. It says like diamond exports are, you know, the largest part of the, or one of the largest parts of the Israeli economy. And my mom had a longtime friend that actually had the same birthday as I did, and I've been celebrating with him since I was like, I don't know, four. Mm-hmm. And he uh he was the proprietor or the owner of a very large diamond house in Cleveland, you know, thousands of stones. When you say diamond house, is that like a... It's a, it's a wholesaler. Okay. It's an importer and a wholesaler. Okay. And explain that before we get uh, into anything else. Well, in, so there's, there's multiple tranches in the diamond business. There's the miners, which is like, you know, Alrosa and Russia. They mine the goods. They, they prospect the area. They decide whether or not it's a profitable operation. They, you know, they dig a gigantic hole <laughs> and they, you know, they have the engineers, they have the geologists, they have all these people that are telling them whether or not it's going to be a profitable operation. You know, from prospect to groundbreaking is like several years. It's not just, you know, oh, I found a diamond on the ground. I'm digging a gigantic hole here. And then you have the site holders or, oh, Essentially, the site holders, which, yeah. which I'll get into later, but they're the guys that buy the rough. They buy the rough. And, they, and the rough is? The rough are the rough diamonds. They look like salt that you would put on the ground when it's icy out. 
Mm-hmm. It's not these beautiful polished diamonds that I deal with. And you have the site holders that sell to the wholesalers. Wholesalers sell to the retailers, the retailers sell to the end user. So I worked for a wholesaler. They import stones from Israel, from Russia, from India. And um, he, was a, he was a diamond wholesaler. It was, a, it was a company that started in the early 1900s with his great, I mean, I think it was his grandfather. Mm-hmm. And I had been very close family friends with him for a very long time. And so in, in school, I got interested in international trade and I got interested in non-fungible goods, something that could be traded internationally, but is not fungible. So gold, yep. you have 0.999 gold, a kilo of it. Mm-hmm. If I give you one of those and you give me one back, I have no qualms about it mm-hmm. like because they're the same. They're, 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 they're fungible. They're 0.9, one gold bar is the same as another gold bar because they're 0.999. They're pure and then it's, it's gold. Yep. With a diamond, if I give you a if I give you a certain two carat diamond, you give me one back. The difference in the price of those two, and the difference of the value of those two, could be thousands of dollars. Exactly, and we're going to get into those differences, right? Yeah, yeah, we'll get into those differences later. But I'm, I'm, I'm I was interested in, in something that could be traded internationally, but it's not fungible because fungible is boring. Like one oil, one um, one barrel of oil is the same as another barrel of oil. Mm-hmm. It's just oil. Yep. But diamonds aren't the same. I mean, if I if I need to go to a border crossing, let's say in Uzbekistan, and I need to get across for some reason, if I have a pocket full of stones and I hand it to the border guard, I'm across. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. He sees diamonds, it's money. Yep. If I hand him a dollar, he's like, I can't use this. I hand him diamonds, it's, it's done deal. There's no question. Exactly. So, uh, it, so I, I started with him, like, because I just was interested in that stuff, and you know, kind of, that's how I am here. I moved out here with no job, like I was in it. Like yeah, I was, yeah. I want to talk about that. So, so you moved out here. When did you move to New York? I moved to New York in February of 2017. February of 2017. Right before I came, I came in December of 2016. Um, and I want to know how you actually got into the diamond business here in New York, because being a, a diamond dealer here in the district. It's one of the hardest things to do. It's hard, hardest things to break in, I would say. Yeah. So because, how did how'd you go about that journey of doing that? Because I I applied to a job at a at a at a diamond dealer, like at a large, pretty large, like three thousand, four thousand stones inventory, and I just applied to it. And I had the background, I had the the GI certification, I had the eyes for the goods, mm-hmm. and I, I met with him once, and he hired me. But it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. It was it was. And what were you doing in that role? I. I I feel bad about it because I was selling bad diamonds. I don't like looking. I was selling the diamonds that nobody else wanted to buy at very cheap prices. What is what is a bad diamond? A bad diamond. For people out there that don't know, um, so Johnny went to the GIA to get a certification. Um, <clears throat> and when you have the certification, you can kind of, by eye, tell good diamonds from bad diamonds. And so, Johnny, describe what a bad diamond would be. Well, I'll start with what the GIA is. The GIA is the Gemological Institute of America. Mm-hmm. It's the foremost authority in diamond grading. And so you hear a lot of rappers all the yeah, time Yeah, saying about VVS and VS, like chain all the, VS. Those are the categories fr- given from the GIA. Yeah, they're, they're the categories that are, well, it's not it specifically from the GIA, but the GIA is kind of the foremost authority in it. Yep. So so there's there's diamond clarity and there's diamond color and there's cut and there's carat weight. There's the four C's. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, you go to a jewelry store, they say, oh, I'm going to tell you about the four C's. So carat weight is obviously how much the stone weighs. And a lot a big misconception is that Carrot is the size of the stone. It's not the size of the stone. It's the weight of the stone. Ah. 
So stones can be denser than. Yeah, it's 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 just what it weighs. A carrot is a fifth of a gram. Mm-hmm. So you can have a like. Let's say you have this this water bottle here. Mm-hmm. This weighs a certain amount. This has a certain amount of mass. Mm-hmm. But if you look at it from this, it doesn't look very big, does it? No, it doesn't. So it's a deep item. Okay. It's deep. Yeah. So it carries a lot of its weight in the bottom of it. So let's say I have this mounted up in a, in a ring. Mm-hmm. You go like this, it doesn't look very big. So carrot weight is not the size of the stone. Okay. It's the weight. Okay, that's the first thing. So this can be a certain amount of carrots. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, I could sell you a five carat stone, but if a million percent of it is in the bottom of it, it doesn't look very large. Yeah. So that's a common misconception is that carrot weight is size. It's weight. And then there's um, there's cut, which is, you know, you have your ovals, you have your marquees, which is like kind of like, you know, uh, oval with with edges. Yeah. And then you have, you know, your princess cuts, your cushions, you have all that stuff. That That's basically kind of a, you, it's personal preference. With uh-huh. The cut? Yeah, it's up to you. Whatever yeah. you want, you know, uh, or mm. your significant other, whatever they want, right? The classic is the round stone. Obviously, they're, they're round brilliant. Mm-hmm. But then you have the ovals. Ovals are very popular. But we'll get into that later. But the cut, I mean, the um, the color and the clarity are this the two things that really uh, the GIA really sits on. Okay. It's, it's the color is is from uh, D to Z, mm-hmm. and then it goes into fancy colors, and then the clarity is from flawless to I three. And flawless is the best. Personal preference, honestly. Really? Yes. But I mean, I, it, I, I in I terms know, of dollar wise, dollar wise, the flawless is the most expensive. Okay. But I know that there are companies out there that will intentionally create an inclusion in a stone to make it not a flawless stone. Really? Because it brings the price down and makes it an easy, more easily sellable item. Oh, wow. So, so I want to so hear about more specifically. Um, so you moved out here. Um, you were based in Jersey first before you came out to New York where you're right. based. Um, and you got your first job in the Diamond District. You said you didn't like it, right? And you said you were wholesaling bad stones. I was wholesaling stones that nobody wanted to buy. When you say nobody wanted to buy, you're not selling to um, customers, retail customers like myself or our team members, right? You're selling to other um, shops within the diamond district. No, I was selling to stores. Stores, okay. Stores, but they were like they were like pawn shop tier stores. They weren't gigantic Rolex dealers. They were yeah. they were they were stores that had customers with lower budgets that would buy stones with, that are included or deep or... What does uh, included mean? Included means that there's a crystal within the stone that the diamond lattice built was like was formed around. That's not good. It's not good because it's it's either visible with the eye or just it just doesn't look like a nice diamond. It's either cut wrong or it's included or... Or it's a deep stone, like I said, like the Fiji water bottle is yep. like it's deep. So, you know, when its face is up, it doesn't look as large as the weight is. But I I, I felt intellectually dishonest selling these <laughs> diamonds because I felt like I was selling crap to people. Yeah. I mean, because diamonds are beautiful things and, and, and they, they're inherently beautiful. And in your craft, you would never want to do that. Yeah. It's like it's like selling. It's like selling. It's working at a used car lot. And I have no problem with people that are working at used car lots because they are. That's they had, craft. They, they, yeah. They, they, they fill a niche in the market. Mm-hmm. They sell lower priced items to lower budget people. Yep. And but I but I love diamonds so much that I felt bad. Selling these goods. Now, let me ask you this question. What is it like to work here in the Diamond District in New York? 
It's a madhouse. What do you it's, mean? I've never seen more people just huddled in on the sidewalk, in the middle of the sidewalk, doing business. You know, these people are swapping five characters, ten characters, you know, in a crappy piece of paper to each other. <laughs> I mean, in the in the movie Uncut Gems, yeah. uh, in the trailer, there's a guy sitting behind a counter and he reaches over and he hands Adam Sandler a manila envelope. That's how the business works. And so that's in, like, that's the real deal. And in the manila envelope could be anything. It could be a 10 carat diamond. It could be a 20 character. It could be a 30 carat. It could be anything worth from like $200 worth of Melly, which are small diamonds, yeah. to uh, a 35 carat D flawless. Mm-hmm. But they all come in the manila envelope. There's, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like nobody delivers them using like, you know, a sweet box or something. It's all in the manila envelope. Okay. The envelope is 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 law down in the diamond district, and, and so how do you how did you start to navigate your way through that as an, a newcomer to the district and the diamond business as a whole? When people ask me if I'm buying or selling, I say I see you every day, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not buying and I'm not selling. <laughs> so you don't do anything on the street. I don't I don't do anything on the street because it's 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 not that it's dangerous. It's that it's a it's a bit shady. It's because it's not that it's shady like somebody's going to rob me. It's yeah. that shady that they just don't pay very much for it. Yeah. Okay. And, and and since they buy off the street all the time, it's it's, it's not an interesting market to be in, mm-hmm. but it's a very interesting place to be in. Okay. Because the Diamond District is unlike any other place in, in, uh, in New York City. Well, actually, probably in the world. Because mm-hmm. the Diamond District is just, it's like you have, there's, Five million cigarette butts on the ground because there's five million different nationalities that work there. You have your your Persians, you have your Bukharians, which are like Jews from Uzbekistan. You have your Hasidim, you have your Asians, you have you have Hispanics, you have everything down there, and it's all coming together just as a crazy just melting pot of everybody just trying to do some business. <laughs> yeah. It's like it, it, every day. It, it just never stops. Does it stop at uh, let's say five p.m. No, stops probably at six thirty. But two o'clock on Friday. Two o'clock on Friday. Yeah, yeah. Shabbos, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so now this is money talk. So I'm gonna ask some hard hitting questions. Go for it. What was your base salary as an incoming diamond dealer here in New York? Here in New York, fifteen dollars an hour. Fifteen dollars an hour. Two percent commission. But in New, but back in uh, in Cleveland, it was fifteen dollars an hour as well. But I was sorting Melly. and Melly is an important part of the diamond business. Melly is stones under 0.13 carats. Yeah. Smallest stuff. How did you survive off $15 plus the 2% commission? I lived in uh lived in Jersey for free. With your folks? Yeah. Okay. Why not? I mean, I need I I met some people. I needed my break in. I uh I walk through the district and I meet and I see three or four people I know every day. Mm-hmm. They always shake my hand, they ask me for what's for what's good for business and I mean, it's it's about connections. The yeah. diamond business is about connections. It's like if somebody calls me for just your word is bond. Yeah, my word is bond. It's Mazal. Yeah, I'll explain Mazal later. Okay. <laughs> but if somebody calls me that uh, they want to sell me something, and I don't know, I don't recognize the number. I don't know any of that. I'm like, uh, I don't think we're buying right now. But if I recognize a phone number, mm-hmm. yeah, we bring it in. Okay. And now, usually, how is money made when you're selling a diamond in the diamond district? Selling a diamond in the diamond district, you have to be a four. Let me let me preface this for the person who's selling it, the salesman, which you would be, but also for the company that owns the diamond as well. 
somebody that owns a diamond probably bought it very well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I work in the business of the nicest stones in the world. I don't work in the business of the bread and butters anymore. I used to. Mm-hmm. But now I work. Uh, and this is the Mecca for stones. Yeah, I mean, New York is the Mecca, Antwerp is the Mecca, Ramat Gan is the Mecca, Mumbai. Um, but selling in the diamond district is a little difficult because they have so many people, other like other people around them that are trying to sell them. They're trying to give them the best price. So they're trying to give them the strongest price as possible. But sometimes that's just not easy because... A lot of the diamonds, like I told you, are coming from India, and they have a lot of stringent regulations there mm-hmm. that say you cannot adjust the price this much. So it's it's diff- it was difficult for me to sell when I was working for an Indian company. Now it's not so hard. And uh, where do you work now? I work for Nader Cash. Okay. And Nader Cash is uh, is a company that's known just in the diamond business for having the nicest fancy shaped diamonds in the world. What are fancy shaped diamonds? Fancy shaped diamonds are diamonds that are not sh- are, they are not round brilliant, mm-hmm. and so fancy shapes are a little bit more difficult to gauge because round stones by the GIA they have a cut grade, mm-hmm. meaning like you know you take a two carat, say it's a D flawless because so we don't have to talk about inclusions. You take one t- two carat D flawless with an excellent cut grade and excellent polish and excellent symmetry, which are things that are gauged by the GIA. Mm-hmm. You take another two carat D flawless, excellent cut, excellent polish, excellent symmetry, and they look almost exactly the same because it has a cut grade. Mm-hmm. So they have the same light return, they have all the same of that stuff. Fancy shapes, they don't have a cut grade. So you really have to look at the stone to know what it is. You have to eye it out. Personally. Yeah, you have, to, you have to eye it out. And, and our stones, they're just phenomenal. They're the nicest stones in the world. I have companies that have 8,000 stones in inventory calling me for one of our diamonds because they just just there's nothing else like it out there. Mm-hmm. So in, in return of having the nicest fancy shapes, we have a little bit of higher prices, but you look you put those two stones together like next, next to each other. Mm-hmm. There's no comparison. Okay, now how do you make money? How do I make money? Yes, how do you make money in the diamond business personally? Selling. Selling, prospecting, mm-hmm. selling jewelry, yeah. you know, because... If, if you put one of my eternity bands next to another eternity band, my stones are all matched way better. Mm-hmm. You put one of my line bracelets next to somebody else's line bracelet. Line bracelet is wonky. It's got uh, bow ties in the stones. It's like the stones are, there's eye visible inclusions in it. Just And everything is just made so well. And uh, I make money doing private clients. Okay. And on a typical sale, right? A typical sale throughout the week, somebody calls you and say, hey, I need to... Uh, <clears throat> need a certain type of diamond. Is it is it a private client or is it a store? Um, I want you to explain both, and I want you to explain how your commission structure or your pay is based um, in both of those situations for the people um, that maybe want wanting to get into the diamond business, right? And they're they're just wondering, you know, how do I really make money as a salesman? Well, okay, well, store. Usually, they're established stores, so I don't make commission on that. Mm-hmm. But I, but it, I mean, they're. Do you have a base? Yeah, I have a base. What's your base? My base is 48 grand. 48? Yeah. Okay. So your base is 48. You don't make commission on, on store sales. Private clients is where you make your money. Okay. Now explain that a little bit for the people. Private clients are people that we bring in. We, you know, they need to get engaged. Mm-hmm. So they come in and I show them stones. I show them mountings. I show them all that stuff. And 
they choose either, you know, one of the stones that I give them. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, I pick out a mounting, I send it to the manufacturer, I finish it up and they're happy. Yeah. You know, a lot of the times they don't even come in. All over the phone. Over the phone, over text messages. Emails, everything. Social media as well. Social media is a lot of my stuff is done via DM. Yeah. I want to, and, and so um, I actually got some questions from our viewers. We have some viewers actually um, on uh, the YouTube and also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, everything like that. And they had a couple questions. Um, one of the questions was, um, are diamonds good investments as compared to other precious metals? Because, let me preface this, a lot of people like gold, right? Or they want to buy, buy into silver. What What's your, uh, your read on are diamonds good investments? Diamonds are good investments as long as you still have the diamond. It's, it's hard to explain because you try to resell a diamond to somebody on the street, they're going to give you maybe 50% of what you paid for it. 50%? Maybe. Maybe. But because, but the reason why I gauge it that way is because a lot of people buy diamonds for way, too, like way overvalued. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll buy a diamond from K Jewelers. They'll buy a diamond from Zales. They'll buy a diamond from Jared. They'll buy a diamond from their local pawn shop. And is that because they see all of the commercials every single day for those companies. Yeah, I think I think that they uh, I don't think I wouldn't exactly call a, um, a diamond buying process a snap decision. Mm-hmm. But let's say somebody wants like I've had a lot of private clients that are like, yo, I need this now. Yeah. So they see that stuff on TV and they're like, okay, I'm just going to go buy that. Okay. Like they so they get hooked into it and they buy a, a kind of a crappy stone thick girdle, a deep stone, included stone for way over value. And then when they go to resell it, they get 50% back. So so they don't see it as an investment. But it is an investment considering if you still own the stone and you know what the stone's worth, mm-hmm. you're not going to take, you know, pawn shop money for it. Yeah. So, it, yes, it is a safe investment because, like I said at the beginning of the show, you can do anything with it. You can go anywhere with it. My question for you, if I were to come to you and say, hey, Johnny, um, instead of buying a CD from a bank that's going to pay me 1% or 2% and they have to hold my money for, let's say, a year, three years or something like that, I want to put $5,000 into a diamond. Will it hold its value, let's say, in a year's time? Absolutely. Absolutely? Absolutely. And why is that? Because you give me $5,000, I find you the best diamond for $5,000. I don't, I don't just go and look at, you know, I don't go to a store and go look at the price tag and buy the first $5,000 item I see. How do you go through that process? Explain to the people. How do I go through that process is that I know what a nice diamond is. And a nice diamond is not color clarity. It's a formula. It's really, you got to take this $5,000 and you got to really put it together and you got to do the best combination of color, clarity and, and size and, and spread yeah. of the stone and, and how it looks and how it faces up and how it reflects light. You take all those things together and you take that five grand and you buy the best diamond for that money. That's how it holds its value because uh-huh. that stone will always be worth something because people will look at it as but- a... F- but my question for you, will it be worth at least $5,000? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you have to buy the right one. That's 
You have to buy the correct one. You have to have somebody that has an eye for it. You can't just go out and buy a $5,000 diamond looking at price tag because mm -hmm. somebody is going to sell you a $5,000 diamond. There's somebody's going to sell you a $5,000 bridge. Somebody's going <laughs> to sell you a $5,000 stapler. Yeah. So if you have five grand to spend, and you don't know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You're going to get, you're going to buy a $5,000 like Toyota Taurus. And I feel like that's what anything. Or Ford Taurus, whatever. If you, if you go into your broker and you say, hey, I want $5,000 in investments, they're going to sell you um, what they make the most commission off of. Yeah, of course. Right? They're gonna they're gonna they're gonna sell you the thing that they can buy below market and then make commission off of it. How do you build trust in the diamond business? Build trust in the diamond business by not being a diamond dealer. That's really <laughs> how it is. That's how I build trust. Like I will sit next to somebody at a like a lot of my my clients come from the bar or like from like standing next to somebody on the street. Mm -hmm. You just chit chat with them and they become a client because you're not talking about selling them the first second that you talk to them. Because that's not what it's about. It's about building a rapport. It's about building trust. It's yeah. like I sit down, I'm watching football with somebody at the bar and and he sees that my watch and like, but we've been talking about something else for the first 30 minutes and he says, hey, I need to get engaged. Yeah. Give me your card. It's not like, hey bro, uh, it looks like a, you have a girlfriend. Do you wanna buy a diamond from me? It's If you see someone in the bar, um, you see they have nice taste, they maybe have a nice watch on, or they ask about your watch that you have on, um, and you start to get into that conversation and build a rapport. How long from that conversation into them buying a stone does it usually take for you? I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to put an average on it, but... Or is it a long process where you're just building that rapport, building relationships, and eventually someone says, hey, you know what, I can trust Johnny, I'm going to go with him and buy a diamond. It's usually the latter. Okay. It's like, it, it's just, it, it just comes up. It's not, it's not like a thing that I lead with mm -hmm. because like, why? Yeah. Because I'm not a sleazy salesman. I mean, I'm not that much of a sleazy salesman, <laughs> but, <laughs> but like, I, I don't make, well, I don't make a huge amount of money off of stores that private clients is kind of where it's at. Mm -hmm. And, but the thing is that they're still saving two, three, four thousand dollars off of going to K Jewelers. And that can be huge when you're shopping for something like an engagement ring yeah, or a wedding ring. Yeah, a wedding ring. A wedding ring is a different. Like a wedding ring is kind of a different, uh, a different animal than an engagement ring because a wedding ring is kind of they're, they're more like we said they're a little bit more fungible. It's usually just a you know for men it's just a gold band and mm -hmm. for or you know for women it's just kind of a channel set like small stones. But the engagement ring, you know, I, I like I make a very large amount of profit from the engagement ring, but I'm still saving them thousands of dollars. Thousands of dollars. Okay, so we're gonna get into that here in a bit. This is gonna be a fun, fun little sequence. I'm gonna ask you a question. Uh, for those viewers out there that, you know, will probably um, be getting engaged or married within the next three or four years, right? Um, and they're saying, these. this is for the guys out there, how do I go about searching for my engagement ring or my wedding ring? And I'm gonna start it with this question. Let's say I walk into a, a diamond store and I'm looking for an engagement ring. What's the first thing I should do? Walk out. You don't go to a diamond store for an engagement ring. Where do you go? You go to a broker. You go to a, a dealer. You go to a friend. You go to a friend of a friend. You don't go to a diamond store. You don't go to a floor level store. What, what do you mean when you say floor level? Floor level is like on the lower level of 47th street like you so if you walk into a diamond uh store on let's say 47th which is the diamond district in new york never buy anything from them absolutely not now where would i go you go to a trusted dealer because they have because 
well, they and we have manufacturers <laughs> that it's, it's it's a little difficult to explain in in if you want like if you know somebody on the street on 47th street absolutely go to them mm-hmm. but don't ever walk off the street and make a snap decision like that because it's not a snap decision like this is supposed to be something that's very special between you and your significant other and going onto a floor level street i mean of a, a street level store is a little bit seems snappy i mean if you know somebody and you've been looking in the window and you've been doing this and you've been doing that for a while yeah go for it mm-hmm. But it's not something you kind of just walk off the street, you know, walk off the sidewalk into a street, to, I mean, into a store to do. It's it's more complicated than that. It's more there's more prospecting. It's like the same way that Alrosa had to prospect this mine in Russia for 15 years before they decide to break ground. Mm-hmm. Same way you should prospect your wedding, uh, your engagement ring. Okay, and how do how would I go about finding a broker if I'm just looking online? Things I know about and what the viewers probably or the listeners probably know about are things like Tiffany's. Tiffany Diamond. Of course. Um, Tiffany sales, David Yerman. You know, K Jewelers, David Yerman, you know, these these huge diamond dealers. How do you go about finding a broker? And like you said, a trusted broker to know you're getting the best deal. It could be a broker, it could be a dealer, but to know you're getting the best deal is really just to I'm not saying shop around because it's kind of destroys the trust when customers shop around, but I mean it's a smart shopping decision. Mm-hmm. But it's everybody knows a diamond dealer. Everybody does. I mean, I can ask you, I mean, you know, you have your, you say one of your family members in Columbus asks, Hey, I want to get married. You know, somebody exactly. You say, I know Johnny Deckman. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's lots of degrees of separation that, um, can still be used to reach somebody that knows the you know diamonds and knows the diamond business can get the best prices for you mm-hmm. but there's some people that are just so they just they're eager or they're they're not very well connected you should never rush into it right absolutely not and um let's say you have a budget maybe five to ten thousand dollars which i think is reasonable for an engagement slash wedding ring how do i want to stay in budget five to ten thousand dollars is a huge gap you know there's there's tranches in in explain those it's okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to go into something that might be a little bit complicated for viewers, but I'm not, I'm not trying to talk down, but I'm just saying that it's a lot of information to intake. Okay. So, you know, multiplication tables, correct? Yes. It's like you have five and you have two and you go together where they meet and it's 10. Mm-hmm. There's the pricing structure of diamonds is kind of like that. So you let's, let's start at a carrot and go up. So one, carat up to 1.49 carats it has a price sheet made by Martin Rappaport who's kind of an authority in the diamond business really really the guy who prices stones based on market forces and based on rarity and based on things like that uh-huh. so you have 1 to 1.49 carats and you have D to I believe I think M color mm-hmm. and then you have the the clarities so if you take a D flawless, you go D, then you have FL, and you go together, and that's the price per carat that it that Martin prices it at. And that price is what you would sell it for. That pr- no, that price yeah. is what is what Martin says the price is, and every like every um dealer works off a discount of that. So if I uh, say I'm selling this for thirty below, which means I'm selling thirty percent off that price per carat that's on that list. And it's, it's 
pretty common place to sell it for a percentage below. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Always, and that's right? the, that. And like, so if I have a one ninety, which is direct, it's like very close to two carats. Mm -hmm. I sell it for a much lower, like a much smaller discount, like maybe like five below, and I'll sell a one fifty one. Mm -hmm. because the second you go to two carats, it jumps. The price jumps. Oh, okay. So, for instance, I own a, after 5.99, it's really just a crapshoot on what the diamond is priced at. So, like, when you, let's say you recut a stone to a higher clarity. Mm -hmm. You recut it, you cut out an inclusion. You can do that? Yeah. How? Let's say that... Um, Let's say the inclusion's on the girdle of the stone, which is like the outside. Mm -hmm. Let's say the inclusion's out there. You can recut the girdle and cut out the inclusion, and the clarity goes up. Wow. You resubmit it to the GIA, and the clarity goes up. Wow. So you automatically jump up on the price sheet the second you do that with the same stone. But if you recut, it doesn't take some of the weight out. It takes some of the weight out, but if you stay within you stay within that pricing structure, uh, like let's say I, I have a 165 that I cut down to a 159, it's still between 150 and 199. And so you're still going to be in that price bracket in order for you to make the money. Yeah. And you're still in that price bracket, but it jumps up on the list. Mm -hmm. it, the, the price of the stone and the, the value of the stone jumps up on the list because you cut oh. out that inclusion, but it stays within that pricing structure for that size. I mean, for that, uh, for that carat weight. Does that happen a lot? People do it all the time. Really? So they get a diamond that's already been graded by the GIA. Yeah. They recut it to remove, um, the inclusions or just to reshape it or something like that mm -hmm. to get like a, a very good symmetry instead of a good symmetry. And, and, and Oh, okay. So I, and I'm kind of like catching on now. I'm a little slow. I'm catching on. Right. <laughs> so let's say I buy a diamond that has an inclusion. Right. Um, and because it has an inclusion, I get a discount for it. Right. Now let's say I know an excellent, um, cutter cutter, right. They cut, they recut it. I get it regraded from the GIA. That's how you make your money as a diamond dealer. Well, that's that's one way. Okay. I mean, how you make your money as a diamond dealer is just selling diamonds. But <laughs> but that, that's a way to increase the value of a stone that you already own without really spending much money on it. Mm -hmm. It's and that, like in that recut process. How, how long does it take, and how much? Couple does it cost? days. That's it. Couple days. Wow. So you can have you can buy something on a Monday, and have, have it recut, and by Friday it might be worth thousands of dollars more. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. It's like uh, let's say I buy a, a, a round stone with a very good cut grade. Yeah. Send it to my cutter, it cuts it to an excellent cut grade. Resubmit to the GIA. A couple of days later, I get a report from the GIA that says it's excellent cut grade. Stone just went up in value by ten percent, twenty percent. And you can have it out the door that same week. Right. Wow. Yeah. It's uh. It's it's. It's interesting, though, because you need to make sure that you send it to the right person. You can't just have some, like, you know, some bootleg cutter do it. You mm -hmm. need to, I mean, sometimes, like, for instance, the stone, the 300-carat stone, this is the largest deflawless stone in the world. It's mm -hmm. a, uh, it was cut from an 1,100-carat piece of rough mined in Botswana. It was uh, bought by Graf. Graf is, like, Graf is one of the largest guys. There's Graf, there's Quiat, there's David Yerman, there's... Tiffany, there's like those guys, but Graf and Quiet and and like De Beers are like the main people. So Graf bought a uh, De Beers. Yeah, De Beers. We'll get into De Beers, but uh, De Beers is less uh, influential than it used to be. Okay. But Graf bought an 1100 carat piece of rough, excuse me, from I don't know whoever mined in Botswana, and 
they spent, I believe, 150 million on the piece of rough. Oh my god, 150. Uh, yeah, million? it was it was about the size. Let's see if there's anything here that's like the size of it. Um, about the size of your fist, right? Yeah, it's like it was like this big, and so they cut it 60 diamonds off of it mm-hmm. in order to get to the center of this uh, to the center of the rough in order to cut this large stone. So they cut, I think, like two over 20 carat pear shapes that were D flawless, or I'm not entirely sure if they were D flawless, but they were close. Yeah. And they cut anything from under a carat to over 20 carats off of the stone in order to get to the center of the stone, which would be a flawless stone. Mm-hmm. And they cut a 303 carat Asher, which is a square emerald. I don't know. Well, Asher is like kind of a branded term. I'm not sure if it's, it was actually an Asher, yeah. but it was a square emerald. And it's a large, it's a, it was a 303 carat um, D flawless square emerald from the center of the stone, which is the largest D flawless stone in the world. It's about this big. <laughs> Man, and, and I would say at auction, I, I don't know, I can't even say what it would go for at auction. But I'm sure that they're getting a return on their investment on the 150 million. Wow. Because like even like a 23 carat pear shape, D flawless, that these are just like the side stones that they cut <laughs> off of it. That would probably be a two, three, four million dollar stone. Okay, and so what's the largest stone you've ever held? The largest stone I've ever held is a 50 carat fancy intense yellow. Uh, I think it was a radiant. No, it was a cushion. Mm-hmm. It was it, it, it's like a paperweight, but it's not the most expensive stone I ever held. What's the most expensive stone you've ever held? The most expensive one I ever held is a 42 carat DVS no DVVS one uh, square emerald. And how much was it? I think re, like if you were to sell to a retail customer, yeah. If I wanted to buy, how much would you Over sell Over $10 million. Dollars. Wow. Yeah. So that's what they have going on here in the Diamond District here in New York. That's what they have going on in New York and L.A. and Antwerp and Ramakan. That's really where the – see, India India is doing, like, lots of cutting operations, but they're cutting bread and butter goods. They're mm-hmm. cutting GHSI1 rounds, yeah. like, one fifth, like you know, 30-pointers, which is 0.3 carats, up to 2 carats. Like, the stuff that – that a retail customer would buy. Okay, and so I wanna switch gears a little bit and we're gonna talk about something that is probably near and dear to a lot of our viewers, but this is going to be Instagram jewelers. Instagram jewelers Entertainment are- jewelers. People who we've probably heard their name. They've probably, be, probably been in a rap song, right? Greg Una, Eliante, uh, Pristine. Ben Baller. Yeah. Ben Baller. So Johnny Dang as well. <laughs> yeah. And so <clears throat> how do those diamond dealers compare to um, a normal, I would say, diamond dealer? Someone who's not on Instagram, someone who's not selling to entertainers or um, athletes. Well, it's kind of difficult because the the guys who do the Instagram stuff, there, there are now more of them that are doing private clients that want an engagement ring rather than... They want a custom piece or they want an iced out AP or they want something like that. And so it's kind of a, a, it's hard to explain because the private client, like engaging Instagram people are growing. Mm -hmm. They are like Johnny Dang's been around forever and Ben Ball has been around forever. Ben Ball used to be a producer at New Dr. Dre. That's how he got his, that's how like he got into it. And he's also very good. Yeah. Like Greg Yuna is also doing that kind of stuff. With Greg Yuna, like Christine, I see is really Eliante are really the only people I see doing larger stuff, like doing larger goods. You know, for instance, like Johnny Dang is making a grill, mm-hmm. and he has a bunch of tiny diamonds, but those are those are a dime a dozen. 
yeah. for those small stones. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want VVS small stones, it's kind of a pain pain in the butt, but you can do it. Mm-hmm. But the people that are finding these 20 like characters, like these 10 characters and these 30 characters, these large stones are starting to break into the, the market a, a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the rapper jewelers and the athlete jewelers, they're always going to be around. Mm-hmm. But the Instagram game is becoming a lot larger for the the private jeweler. Like I have uh, like one of my friends, he has 70,000 followers on Instagram and does a lot of like does a lot of private sales a month mm-hmm. because he's just posting these insane items. Yeah. Like these items that people don't really see. Like like I'm like I said So you could build a side hustle strictly off of social media. Absolutely. In the diamond business. Easily. And how does it, would he source something, let's say, from uh, someone like yourself? Yeah, if he needs, if he needs like an insane cushion with a one twenty ratio, which is like length to width, which is very hard to find. It's, yeah. it's th- because they're cutting diamonds now to save weight. They're not cutting them to be beautiful stones. They're cutting them to stay above two carats, and it's an uglier diamond. Yeah. but it's above two carats, which means that it's still up on that pricing sheet. Mm-hmm. And, and so let me ask you this question. People talk about Rolexes, mm-hmm. APs. You have an AP on right now. Does the price of that Rolex or AP go down if you ice it out with diamonds? Yes. And why is that? Because, because, you, you, because you would expect the price to go up if you're adding, let's say, valuable diamonds to it. Because you're marginalizing the market that would buy it. Mm-hmm. Because... If I go out there and I have, you know, if I go to the stock exchange and I say I have a Rolex Daytona with the, you know, the white face, which has been phased out, which is a very rare stone, uh, very rare item now. And I say, hey, who wants to buy this for cost? Yeah. Everybody Everybody. would raise their hand. If I have a Rolex Daytona that I drilled 30% of the gold out to replace the diamonds, and did went to the same the you know, to the stock exchange and said, "Who wants to buy this for below cost?" People would be like, "I don't need that." Wow. Yeah, they're like they're like it's, it's a it's a niche market that wants a, a iced out watch. So the smart money would say, "Don't ice out your AP." If you if you plan on owning it for your life, yeah, go for it. If you plan on reselling it, don't do it because the value is <laughs> just going to go down. Probably not. I don't. I'm not going to say the value is going to die down, but you're going to drill out gold, which the jeweler, whoever does it, is going to keep and they're going to resell <laughs> and you're going to uh, reduce the market that would buy it off of you. I mean, I mean, the 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 Patek Nautilus, the stainless steel Nautilus mm-hmm. used to be a $30,000 watch at dealer cost. You can't find it below 99000 these days. That's crazy. And this was like three years ago or two years ago. And what raises the cost of things like a Patek or um, a Rolex um, Hulk? Or, uh, you know, a, a sky dweller or something like that. Rarity. Rarity. You know how long it takes to make a sky dweller? How long? Two years. By hand? Yes. Wow. Sky dweller takes two years. And so that's what people are paying for when they buy these these jewelry pieces. See, yeah. So, let's, well, when they buy diamonds, billions of years. Which is <laughs> why the, there's, there's these commercials on now about diamonds because they're like rare is real yeah because it's it's not man-made and so so you 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 get a diamond and you and you have this six stone on your finger that's spent billions of years under earth's crust forming 
and then people spent 15 years looking for it. And then they spend all like, you know, whatever amount of time it was to cut it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's before the dinosaurs were here, that <laughs> thing was underneath the earth's crust. And that's why it's a special item. And that's why I'm doing just fine, even though that there's man-made diamonds on the market because. I, and I was gonna ask you, what do you think about the diamonds that are made in the lab? The diamonds that are made, la- uh, the diamonds that are made in the lab don't go to my customers. They just don't. Would you ever sell a man-made diamond to your customers? No. Why not? Because my customers expect better than that. They expect something that, how I see is that, that Wealthy people are always going to want the best of the best. Mm-hmm. So if they have the money to buy a a diamond, they're not going to skimp. Yeah. And and I respect that. That's fine because they want the real thing. They don't want a synthetic stone. And though though it may you know face up like a, a real stone, it's it's just not the same. Mm-hmm. You know, a bunch of scientists standing around from forming a stone is not the same as something being formed on Earth's crust under extremely small chances that it's going to be a gem quality piece of rough and then extremely small chances that they could cut this beautiful stone out of that piece of rough and an extremely small chance that they're going to find it in the first place. Like that's yeah. that's that's the inherent value that these things hold. It's just it's just small chance after small chance after small chance. And so, if that's the case, um, <clears throat> is a natural diamond more expensive than a man-made diamond? Absolutely. Lab-grown stones are like seventy below list. Seventy below. Yeah. Wow. Can you tell the difference? And how do you tell the difference between something that's man-made versus something um, that was made in the lab? Well, a couple of years ago, it was a lot easier. But now there's there's you know there's machines that sell it that uh, you know that will say whether or not it's, it's synthetic. Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, they used to, I think that one of the processes of making a man-made stone involved metal. So man-made stones were slightly magnetic. Mm. And if you look into them through a loop, you could see small pieces, small traces of metal in the stone. Also, the formation of a natural diamond is very random. It's yeah. like it's just all over the place. Mm-hmm. But man-made stones, they used to be like kind of put into a star. And then between the arms of the star was how the diamond formed. Mm-hmm. So through like certain Im- imaging, you could see that it's a man-made stone because you could see exactly where the genesis of all this stuff was. And it's like kind of shaped like a star. Okay. Wow. Okay. So I'm probably going to get married within the next couple of years. We'll see. Idiot. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm shopping for an engagement ring, should I pay for it all up front or should I finance it? Never finance it. Never finance it. Because people that the the people that finance are the same kind of people that will sell you a ring for I mean sell you a diamond for cost and then destroy you on the mounting. They'll sell you a mounting for three grand and they'll sell the diamond for cost. And what's the difference between uh, getting the diamond, just regular diamond, versus the mounting as well? The mounting is where they make their money. Really, really. I mean, they'll make they'll make slim slimmer margins on the diamond. It's like you know, 10% maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, a retail store will make hand over fist on the diamond because they're buying it for very low and they're selling it for very high and they have people that just walk in. Yep. But the mounting, they'll, they'll sell you the diamond for cost if that means they can make a lot of money on the mounting. And so usually how much would an average mounting cost or how much should an average mounting cost? An average mounting with Melly, which is small stones in the shank, which is the uh, circular part of the, you know, of the, um, of the ring. Mm-hmm. 
between fifteen hundred and twenty five hundred dollars. Okay, so that's what you because it's the gold, yeah, it's the diamonds and it. it's the labor. Um, yeah, that's what probably so, what you so, should. And so anything, if you're paying anything over that, you're probably getting robbed. You're, yeah, you're getting <laughs> owned. <laughs> oh, okay. So now, um, can you become wealthy as a diamond dealer? Absolutely. How? Be good at business. Buy the right stuff. Buy right and sell correctly. Buy right means like you see an item yeah. and you see a price and you look at the stone and you're like, this isn't stone that I could sell like this. There's been a there's been times where there's been a diamond in my office for one day, sold the next day. Wow. But there's but there's also there's also people that don't buy right and they don't buy the right items. They don't buy the sellable items. They buy the items because the price is right, and it just rots in inventory for so long. Mm-hmm. You have to have a consistently changing inventory and a consistently right inventory to become wealthy. Like it. it the, the guy who uh, died because he was getting a penis enlargement, he was over a billionaire, the, 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 the Israeli diamond dealer. Lev Levayev, mm-hmm. over a billionaire. Jacob and co. I think he, I mean, he went to, he went to jail for, <laughs> for like money laundering or something. Also extremely wealthy. But if you buy the correct stuff, market forces will never affect you because there's always going to be somebody that needs to get married and they're always going right, to want the right item. Yeah. They don't want the crap. It's all about supply and demand. Yeah, they don't want the crap. They want they want the correct item. They're willing to pay top dollar for it. Mm-hmm. And and I don't feel bad because I know that they're getting their money's worth because they're buying the nicest diamonds in the world. They're not buying like garbage. Yeah. They're not buying a, an included stone that just because it's the GIA certificate says a certain amount, like certain thing, that they're getting their money's worth. They're buying the like something that holds value. Mm-hmm. And on top of that is gorgeous. Like I, 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 I sold a diamond, I sold an engagement ring to one of my friends, um, you know, a couple months back and I put out four stones in front of him. And the, the second least expensive stone was the nicest one. I was like, bro, you can have this one. You can have this one, which is like the most expensive, least expensive, but this is the correct stone. And I made less money on it, but it was just the right stone. And I feel like if you're doing good business yeah. and it sold itself, he's like, exactly. dude, I didn't even look at the other stones. This one was the right one. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, it, it, it's, and this, if you have stones that sell themselves, it's really. And when it comes to business, typically, if you do good business, you're going to get repeat customers. You're going to get word of mouth traffic. Right. And, and so now my question for you would be, even though you do work under a brand, yeah. No, I don't work for Queer. I work Nader for Nader Cash. Cash. Excuse yeah. me. He worked for Nader Cash. Do you ever think about starting your own business? Eventually, I think I'm going to. Really? Because I think I'm going to want to branch out to um, exclusively client, uh, privates. Mm-hmm. But I love where I work now, and I love who I work under, and yeah. I love who I work like you know, with. And the uh, our reputation is extremely good, so I have a lot of flexibility when it comes to doing business and um but eventually i think that uh privates are going to be my main thing because i think i'm just better at it than you know it's just kind of i don't know it's it i think privates are eventually going to be my main source of business yeah because i can relate to people and it's easy to uh to sell to people that that 
trust you because I would never screw them because that that will that that's your Achilles heel in the diamond business is screwing people. Yeah. Word of mouth is huge. It is. It is. And and people have been burned so badly by f- screwing up one time in the business. Once. And you, so, you do one bad deal and, and nobody will work with you again. And so for any anyone out there that's looking for a diamond, do your research. Talk to someone that you can trust. Someone like Johnny Deckman, right? Because yep. he's going to actually you know, help you guys navigate through the diamond buying um, process. If you want to have something, you're probably going to make the purchase one time, right? And you're probably going to have it forever. Hopefully. Hopefully. Um, yeah, you don't want to make that twice. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so um, I do want to wrap up um, by saying thank you for being on the show. Of course, man. But before I let you leave, oh no, I want you to get into some of your goals for 2020 and then some of your long-term goals as well. Goals for 2020 is just to keep doing good business. It's to it's to build a rapport with more of these these stores and uh, and do do well by my superiors mm-hmm. and expand the private business and some of the guys that I've sold engagement rings to in the past year. I want to give them their wedding rings. I want to do it right. Mm-hmm. I want to design them whatever they want. I want to deliver it to them, you know, in in, in a timely manner and long term goals. Who knows? It's it's the business is never gonna go away. You know, you see a lot of older diamond dealers who back in the you know the nineteen seventies or eighties mm-hmm. were doing so much more because more people were getting married back then. Yeah, but I don't see it that way. I'm not sitting here sulking because the business isn't what it used to be forty years ago or fifty years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting here getting ready for twenty twenties, like getting ready for. Yeah. For people to keep getting engaged, getting ready for people to buy an eternity van. I'm I'm pumped. I'm not I'm not sulking. I'm not depressed about it. Are you pumped for them to get remarried? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Number two, baby. <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm getting excited about, you know, expanding private business. I'm getting excited about, you know, the upcoming years because the economy is doing pretty well and mm-hmm. and and more people are, are falling back into traditional ideas of getting married and more people are, you know, falling more people that I know are falling into their careers and thinking about, you know, next steps. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I'm, you know, building my uh, my excitement on. OK, well, Johnny, I want to thank you for being on episode two Thanks, of uh, Money Talks. Thank you, my friend. Uh, with Becoming Financially Fit. Uh, I'm going to post this to uh, YouTube, including um, Spotify podcast, Apple podcast, pretty much anywhere on social media that you guys want to see this information you guys can go to. Um, and Johnny, I want to give you a chance to, to give us your socials. Um, my social media, my personal is at Johnny Deck, J-O-N-N-Y-D as in Delta, E-Z-K. Mm-hmm. And uh, I post a lot of interesting items on that. I, you know, uh, probably every day I have a new diamond that I'm really excited about or a new layout or something. So if you want to follow me on that, uh, you'll see some cool stuff. Okay. And if you guys are ever looking for diamonds from the diamond district here in New York city, you can reach out to Johnny Deckman. All right. Thank you, man. Thank you, brother.